Hi, Paul. Long time no talk. Ah, it's been a number of weeks. The world has changed a little. Yeah, I heard stuff happen. Things have things have changed. It's I'm not sure. I, well, it feels like probably a good reset for now anyways. It isn't. I, I don't think it's going to change. So, so we need to, we need to stay active and exercise. Yep. So it's crazy to imagine this, but it's a year almost almost a year since this whole quarantine. How are we going to lock down? We were talking before we started recording that we were swapping you know, text messages and notes more than a year ago, saying, "I can't quite believe anyone, <laughs> no one's noticing what's going on over with respect to this 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 virus and its properties in China." And, you know, I joke that, well, it's because it was going to go on for another year or so. Why start paying attention any sooner than you have to? But the reality (laughs) is this is now a year. And as you said, it makes paying attention to your health or having paid attention to your health even more important because this is probably one of the few things over which you have control in the face of something this large. Right. And the consequences of not paying attention to your health have become oh so very evident. Yeah, yeah. It's now the number one cause of death, and we really don't know all the contributing factors, but we know many of them. Yeah. And half of us out there are insulin resistant. Half of our kids are insulin resistant. So it is time that we wake up and pay attention to this. Maybe a good place to start, and I I sent this to you earlier today. I ran into a quiz that I think it was an, an Irish sports medicine guy had put out. And I just thought, you know what, this is a good way to sum up in a really quick way whether, you know, where we're at in terms of personal fitness a year into quarantine. And it was markers like, it was really short. It was just, I think, four items like, how many times can you stand up and sit down from a chair in 30 seconds? And this is, again, obviously gradated by age. How many push-ups can you do without a break consecutively? And then one of the weirder ones, I think, was how far can you travel on foot in 12 minutes? Which I like just because it feels vaguely prehistoric. Like, I can get just far enough to get me an antelope. And there was a fourth one that I forget, but... uh, Standing on one leg. Oh, yeah, the standing on one leg, arms folded across your chest, eyes closed, and, you know, eight seconds was the target. And I, because I had, I was talking to someone the other day, we were about, like... You know, sizing up their how they felt about their fitness after a year of quarantine, and I wished I'd had this in front of me because it's a quick and dirty way of saying at least you're you're average. So as soon as you sent it, I did it with my son, and you know, like you, we went to the end, right? I'll squat for for twenty minutes if 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 I need to. Uh, (laughs) And truth be told, I can do fifty push-ups, and I'm fifty-seven, so I'm doing okay. I've written, God, 60,000 words on these very things. And yes. he, he drilled it down into four simple tasks, right? Yeah. It's yeah. balance, it's resistance, strength, and it's aerobic. And it's so critical. I do the, I do the sitting one or chair squats in my office for people to test them. I do the balance, and so many people fail. And it starts in your 40s and 50s for yeah. some people. So it's really important to have little simple tests like that. Oh, I'm I, I'm glad to hear you say that because for me, it's nice to be able to pull out a couple of quick things because you know, I get this question a lot and I just usually just tag you into the conversation on Twitter and say <laughs> it's Howard's problem. <laughs> but you get this question all the time, like, how do I know? Like, how do I know outside of 
blood markers or some some 10k running time how do i know that i've got some level after a year of quarantine that i've got some level of practice or i'm maintaining some level of practical fitness and, and at least this is one thing we can point people towards and say here are some rough approximate markers and as you say they they really map in nicely to a lot of the things we've talked about and that you've written about many many times about the importance of squatting, for example, the importance of a base level of, of aerobic fitness. And this all seems to map really nicely. And the thing that always surprises me, and this was one of his claims, was that he thought less than uh, the age-related standards would be hit by less than 30% of Irish citizens. And I don't know if that's optimistic or pessimistic, because I have a bad feeling it'd be worse here in the United States, but I don't know. <laughs> so That's an interesting thought. I, I'm not sure what the percentage is. You know, obviously, I'm my sample is biased based yeah. on what I'm seeing in the office. Yeah. And our bubble, I think, will score very well on this. Yeah. But it's interesting in that you see this, these conversations about people who are worried about what their sleep score is. Right. Or they're trying out levels or vary to map their blood sugar, but they're not doing balance, resistance, and no, and no. aerobic training. Certainly, there's a tiny percentage that are. However, so many people think that a low-carb diet or a keto diet is going to <laughs> be the magic, cure right, magic bullet. Everything that ails them. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and it's if so their true. sleep score is good, then they're fine. Or if they have, or even in a parallel universe, they have these strange pet favorite measures. Like, I have a friend who's convinced that he can assess anyone's fitness, and he likes to brag about how much this has improved over the last year, about by how many pull-ups they can do. He said, that's the, that's the queen of all exercises right there, the pull-ups. But he said, well, a year ago, <laughs> before his quarantine started, I could do two or three. And now, he said, I can comfortably bang off 40 or 50. And I said, wow, that's, that's fantastic. I, and this was just me being a prick, but I said, <laughs> I said, how many do you think Alex Honnold could do? And Alex Honnold, obviously, is the, this, right. this great... Free Climber was in the Jimmy Chin's movie Free yep. Solo, which is outstanding. I saw a clip actually, and he did he he did six and maybe half of a seventh. <laughs> and as he said, it's just not practical for what I do. And that's the word that I keyed in on is that. And this goes to how you should. I'm I'm hope people have focused and spent their time during over the last twelve months, but is on practical fitness because it's what are you trying to accomplish in whatever your program has been over the last 12 months? Is it fitness for some race? Or is it fitness in terms of longevity? Or fitness what, right? I mean, this is the key question. And that's why I love the Honnold <laughs> can do six and a half pull-ups thing, right? Here's a guy who can do, what, 3,200 feet climbing El Capitan without ropes. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming the whole inability to do seven pull-ups did not get in the way. <laughs> right. it's, so, it's it's very interesting what people are trying to optimize for or that's assuming that they're thinking about what they're optimizing yeah, for yeah. to begin with i mean i don't see a situation where optimizing for pull-up strength when you're 57 years old matters you know yes i think it's great that i can do a few and i can only do four or five yeah john bauman who we've spoken to yep. can bang out 50 but i'm happier that i can squat balance and run yeah because yeah. i worry as we talked about i optimize for longevity i'm not yeah. going to win any more races and, and, you, and the only and race that i want to win is yeah. 
not being on a medication, not being on a cane, not being on a walker, yeah. not falling uh, and breaking a hip because I tripped over something. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, we're, at, we're a cult of two because you've converted me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best to evangelize for this particular cult. I'm not sure how successful I am. But no, I, I think <laughs> when you it's optimizing for what is such an important question. And as I've talked to people who, after spending a year and they built up a gym at home during quarantine and lockdown, they have a Peloton and all these other things. The single impression I walk away with more often than not is they don't actually know what they've been optimizing for over the last year, right? Right. And I see this over and over again. And I'm curious, is is that your sense too, that that's one of the problems here? It's great. People are buying these things because they're not going to gyms and they're doing this stuff. But I think they it's still very misdirected because they don't know what it is they're optimizing. You're 100% correct. I've, you know, as I posted this morning, I climbed on my Peloton Ta-da. this morning to do <laughs> a 90-minute zone two ride. And I was I was begging for people to I know. talk please to. Please dis- distract me, please. And everyone's saying, oh, you, you should use Zwift, you should use this. But I can't use Zwift because I'll be losing by 20 miles. Yeah, because I'm not letting my heart rate go above 125. Yeah, I'm not going to join a class and have someone scream at me. Yeah, and you know Peloton Zone Two is uh, FTP based, so it's not heart rate based. So yes, I could do it as a heart rate based, but still, I I'd rather just play my songs or read my book and do my yeah. thing. And as someone else who chimed in said, if you just change your cadence a little bit according to the song. You'll be fine. Yeah. And I put on a playlist, and at the end of the ride, there were two four-minute, really beast songs. So all of a sudden, I'm up to 300 watts and a heart rate of of 170. So I got I, my top. I got my top line in. Yeah, that's and that's my, about all you. It's about all you need. I mean, that's right. The, the 80-20 rule is very, very binding here. So that was exactly what Doctor Samilan had said. Yeah. yeah. So. That has stuck in the back of my head. It's it's completely stuck in my head. So so let's talk about what you're seeing. Are you seeing, and again, your sample is biased because people don't come to see you just to be social. Or maybe they do, I don't know. But are you seeing any change in the types of injuries that people come in with? Are you seeing more? And I mean, this was my, I've said this for a year now, but I'm now increasingly convinced I was wrong. But are you seeing more stress fractures, more overuse injuries? Are you seeing more of anything or less of anything? Has has this last 12 months changed anything in terms of the cross-section of things you see? You know, when we first started, we obviously saw all the stress fractures from those of us who amped it up. But I also (laughs) saw the weight gain and devastation and aches and pains because of all the people who stopped Uh and locked up. Things have started to normalize, hmm. right? The, the worried well are staying in and are never going to come out again. The school athletics, travel teams have started with some restrictions, but they've started. So we're seeing our ACL tears, our shoulder dislocations <laughs> again. Runners are getting back out there. I think a lot of runners have started to get back too quickly if they took some time off. So I am seeing a fair number of stress fractures. Not quite sure, but I'm seeing a ridiculous amount of frozen shoulder. I have no idea why. It, really? It comes, yeah, it comes in spits and spurts. 
Whether it associates with COVID or not, I have no idea. Why don't but, you quickly explain exactly what that what that is? So frozen shoulder is quite simple. It is a shoulder that is mechanically blocked. You can't move it as much as the other arm. So you can't yep. can't raise it up. Not because of pain. There's actually a structural block because the capsule or ligaments around your shoulder have thickened and shortened. So there's less volume in the capsule and you have less motion. It's a yeah. very inflammatory condition. If we put a camera in a normal shoulder, it's a white, pristine environment. If we put a camera inside a frozen shoulder, it's red, it's angry, it's like a skin knee. And it associates and is more common with diabetics and poor metabolic health. So we see a fair amount of it throughout the year. But there are times in the year when we just see more of it. It can be triggered by an injection, like a bursitis, like someone who gets a, a vaccine or an injection and the needle goes a little too far and hits the bursa in the shoulder. Mm. It can set off a series of events and lead to a frozen shoulder. It's not the substance that was injected. It's the mechanics, right? right. Yeah, it's a mechanistic cause. So it, it, it's a puzzling disease. It was brilliantly described by Codman back in 1934, who wrote all about it. And he actually said that, that nothing that we do will help. So just leave these people alone. And it's funny because we ran full circle with frozen shoulders and took a lot of them to the operating room to manipulate them and operate on them and cut the capsule and do all sorts of things. And then we found out that just injecting about 20 cc's of saline into them under under ultrasound works extraordinarily well in almost everyone. Yeah, <laughs> it's I've run into multiple people. We're we're in I actually a couple in the last year that after having you run into people now and then but all of a sudden in the last year i've run into multiple people and it's always this very uh, no pun intended pained look that i just i don't know what i did but this has happened it can uh, be miserable you know yeah. you, you see someone in your office and they're off the charts beside themselves miserable it's calcific tendonitis right some calcium yeah. in there if you see someone who's pretty miserable and they go to shake a hand and they hike their shoulder up and they can't move it, then it's a frozen shoulder. Yeah. It's an easy diagnosis to make. And now with the hydrodilation, with with the saline injection, so easily treated. It's interesting. Don't that suffer it's, with it. Yeah, well I won't self I won't self inject either. It's interesting <laughs> that it's popped up more during quarantine though. That's it. So did a just out of curiosity, did the incidence of ACLs really drop off in the period? Oh tremendously. When sports went away, uh, a lot of a ACL tears went went away. But then we had all the kids that we had booked for March and April and May, and we had to get them uh, back and done in June, July, and August. So those are some crazy months. feels to me, and we've talked about this a lot, that there's lots of things that if we just leave them alone, they, get, they have a tendency to get better or at least be less bothersome, and that this in some ways is a classic natural experiment because people had things go wrong and then were forced to go away and wait because that option wasn't available to them. Do you think we're going to discover that any particular therapies or treatments or interventions were less necessary because we've discovered that 12 months later they actually didn't need the procedure that they were originally had prescribed and then couldn't have as a result of the, the pandemic? I mean, ACL is maybe not a good example, but I'm just no, curious. plenty of ACLs can't be treated without surgery. Yeah. 100%. 
You yeah. Know, if you're an adult, you tear your ACL, don't assume that you need to have it reconstructed. Yeah. Everyone who watched the last Olympics, the last Winter Olympics, watched a female downhill racer ski without an ACL. Yeah. So, but, you know, you asked if we will learn if any injuries recover without our intervention. The problem is, is that we know these, <laughs> we know about these injuries, right? Yeah, we know that meniscus yeah. tears don't require surgery. We know that a lot of rotator cuff tears and tennis <laughs> yeah. elbow doesn't require surgery. These have all been studied with, with, with placebo controlled yeah. sham surgery trials. Yeah. So it's been proven over and over and over again. And it um, hasn't mattered. Yet. Right. So there are patients who I'm sure were scheduled for an arthroscopy for a meniscus tear in April, right. who, when it opened up again, found out that they didn't need the surgery. But I'm sure that it, that fact did not change their surgeon's preference to operate on it. You know, right? Yeah, no, no, it's right out of behavioral science, motivated reasoning, right? I mean, you just find a reason to continue believing what you want to believe because the outcome is one you prefer. You're just too too motivated to believe it. So you just continue reasoning in a way that supports you, the basic objective, which is I want to do the procedure or I want to have the procedure done, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. If you put your scope in someone's knee and they got better, it has to be because you did something. If I put a scope in someone's knee and they got better, then that would be something something to write home about. So, but anyways, is it my sense is that in general, I feel as if I see more people just doing stuff in general that I have a hunch that in five years we'll look back at some longitudinal data and this. I'm not sure what specific data we'll we'll see it in, but that we'll see that there was a general societal uptick in fitness. Granted, massive distribution, lots of people just never got out of the house. They gained weight, they have joint issues and what have you. But I have never seen so many people being active in places that I'm usually all by myself. I say that somewhat resentfully in a very entitled way, as I do now. And that's completely ad hoc empiricism. I'm just Selecting data based on what I see, not on any systemic study. But I feel as if we're, what has happened over the last 12 months has changed something. I don't know if it's sustainable, but I feel like something has changed. I don't know if that's your. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. If you remember our episode where I got um, stoned on a running trail for running <laughs> yes, too I close. Do. I do right? yeah. And you had a story on from the same from yeah. the same episode. So there, yeah. certainly there's a plethora of people who are out in these parks and hiking on these trails and walking. I don't know if it's a redistribution from doing other activities. Fair point. Right? Yeah. Or they're out. Yeah, I don't know. Right. So I don't know whether they're not in shopping malls, so they're out on trails or uh -huh. they actually are trying to exercise. Yeah, it's hard to know. I just, and I'm, I'm it's, well, weirdly maybe optimistic this way, but it feels to me as if something has changed, that there's a, an appetite for being more active. Again, maybe people don't have object, objective functions, so it's not clear exactly what they're being, and we'll come back to this in some upcoming episodes, but it's not clear what they're optimizing and how they would know if they were optimizing successfully anyway. Uh, I really hope you're, I really hope you're right. You know, there have been a string of patients in the office over uh -huh. the last few months 
where if I help them draw, connect the dots, you see the light bulb go off, uh-huh. right? That's great. So if I have someone who's hypertensive, and, you know, and I'm looking at a <laughs> four-month pregnant belly in, in a male and, you know, abdominal obesity and they're, they're on a statin, and I'll, I'll talk to them. Did anyone ever mention metabolic syndrome? No. Did anyone ever mention insulin resistance? No, I'm not diabetic. No, you, you're, you're going to be. You just, you're on you the just path. You just don't know it yet. Right. And then they look at you queerly and you start to explain it. And I, I got to tell you, when you have the time between patients to sit there and chat with them, you'll convert a fair number of them. That must so be satisfying. You, it's very satisfying, yes. but you know, you sit through all these healthcare technology startup <laughs> events, yeah. right? Especially now with that new app, Clubhouse, right? Yeah. All these yeah. people, we're changing the world. No, you're not. No, you're. You may sell out to someone who's going to give you thirty million dollars for your startup, but you're not changing anyone's health. No. So I, I would love to see someone scaled to the point where they help people connect these dots. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I just, you, when you see, and you see, I see it regularly, even on, on, on Twitter where people suddenly start making connections and realizing that, well, even in the context of this discussion about in, in your pandemic program, what are you optimizing for? And you, you say it all the time, you know, longevity in your case, that, that, even that comes across as a revelation to people that, oh, there is an objective function here. It's not that I'm, I think people have the bad habit of believing I'm training to pass time. I'm training for a marathon. I'm training, they're training for all these very transient reasons. And right. that's not, that's not sustainable because the marathon passes, the pandemic ends, right? right. The, these things are all transient motivations. But if you're training for longevity, well, you know, mathematical sense, longevity never ends if you do it right. So. <laughs> But that's I mean, true. That's what motivates me to get down to the basement and do it. Everyone thinks that we love every workout that we do, mm-hmm. right? We don't. No. Um, there no. are some runs that we need to do, right? Our head needs to be cleared. There are some that we just love. We can't wait to to get out. But there are some when we drag our ass out of bed, we throw our shorts on, and we go run. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm want to live longer i want to be a father longer it's going to be a messy world and my kids judging by where they're at now are going to need a lot of help i may have to carry a lot of antelopes home (laughs) (laughs) right no exactly let's go into a a topic we don't spend a lot of time talking about but probably should and i'm sure you hear about a lot but we talk a lot about physical health but it's Physical health is so, so fraught in part because it's tied to mental health. And one of the things, the real epidemic under the epidemic in many ways, and the stories are endless. I mean, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal last week about the in, in higher education students in colleges, but it's all over at all ages. The effect this has had on mental health and mental health feeds directly, I'll say synergistically, but it's not nearly so charitable a relationship into physical health. And my sense is, that mental health societally is as fraught as I, I've ever seen. Yeah, I, you're 100% correct. People are frazzled. We're frazzled. Healthcare workers, frontline workers, people who have been locked up, our poor kids, right? And, you yeah. know, 
they've really, really suffered through this pan- pandemic. And uh, yeah, what do <laughs> I mean? What do you do with you? Someone come into your office, and it's clear that they've got some physical problems and other things. But you get a sense in some form or another that maybe the problems aren't as not really physical. It's more that there's a I lack energy. I'm not able to do these things, but all my blood tests are negative. That maybe this has more to do with, I mean, and this is a cliched example, but maybe it has more to do with some aspect of mental health, not specifically some syndrome that's causing me to be unable to do all these different things. Well, A, are you seeing that more of those kinds of cases? And B, and I suppose more importantly, what do you do with people like that? Right. Great question. So, yes, you. Absolutely see that. First, as I explained to many patients, recovery from anything, injury, surgery, has an obvious physical component, but has a tremendous mental and psychological component. And for many people, it's the mental and psychological aspects of the recovery that are most challenging to confront and deal with. The physical therapy is easy, but they just can't get over the hump with respect to their mental health. Now, I'll also see people who they used to walk, they used to exercise, bam, came the pandemic, they got a little depressed, and now they just can't muster enough effort to get outside. If I don't think that they're, you know, in need of medication, if they're suicidal, if they need urgent attention by a psychiatrist, I'll try and work with them, and I'll try and work with them in simple ways, like try and get them to reset their brain's clock, right? I want them to mm-hmm. stare at the sun in the morning. I want them to shut to shut down the lights in the house at 7 o'clock. Start to get back to a routine, right? You're not going to stay up all night and watch TV. I don't want you to look at a goal of exercising 150 minutes a week for 52 weeks a year. I want you to think of tomorrow I'm going to walk for 10 minutes, just one day, right? Chunk these goals, right? You know, we eat an elephant one bite at a time. So make these into really little achievable bites. A lot of times you can get through this with people who are just brought down by the overall stress and loneliness of the pandemic pandemic has really brought forth yeah otherwise if i really think that someone is in trouble and i really can't get through to them or i don't think that their physical issues are an actual problem i will refer them to a professional for help and i have done that quite a lot have you done have you seen more of it in the last year i would say yes. yes yeah yeah i mean my impression Again, it's it's anecdotal. It's driven by people I know, or what people around me tell me, or what I see in 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 reports. But is that it's not it, it is real. It's not just a convenient angle for a New York Times or Wall Street Journal story. But there is actually a an epidemic under the epidemic, and it's one that's it's it's darker and more insidious, and and it's not solved by just telling someone, <clears throat> as you just said, but get out there and go for go for a run. It's it, it doesn't get addressed no. that way, and and there's a tendency I think to feel like, in particular, 
with me because I'm an idiot this way, but that everything gets <laughs> solved. If I just, if I get a chance to go out and suffer for a while, I'll be fine. And <laughs> that must work for other people too, right? And it doesn't, it just doesn't. And and it can lead to some really bad places where people end up in these sleepless cycles and exhaustion, and it just starts to all feed back on itself in, in a horribly negative way. And and then they disappear. I had a, a friend not too long ago, probably back in October, who dropped off email and other things for a while, and I assumed they were up to things. And finally, about eight weeks later, six weeks later, I sent them a note. And they sent me back one fairly quickly saying, oh, I'm really glad you reached out. It's been a really rough time. I just lost the plot here with things going on and unable to cope with all this stuff. And it, it turned out that reaching out was the right thing to do. And that's one of the things I encourage people to do all the time is that everyone, I don't know, maybe less so right now, but over the last year, everyone has been suffering. And and not the good physical suffering you get from doing a 90-minute run. It's the bad <laughs> kind, right? And reaching out and even just recognizing that even the dude who honked at you at the traffic light that pissed you off and you're thinking of reversing into them or something, this is not <laughs> the time to go Mad Max. Everybody's angry. Everyone's on edge. And, you know, the vaccine is, is one light at the end of the tunnel and so as are maybe a return to more normal working relationships or whatever. But it's a really, really fraught thing and that people just don't, I don't think people accord each other enough slack for it to realize how much of this is going on. I don't think we give each other enough slack for anything anymore. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Right? And I, listen, I've, you've learned some things about exercise and goals uh, from me. Uh, and what I've learned from you is virtually zero news and my Twitter uses turned down tremendously. I <laughs> I'm just, glad I could help. I just can't take it. Yeah. So I feel like it's been a dark year. It's been a really rough year in a lot of different ways for, I think, almost everyone. We don't cut each other enough slack, but I feel as if optimistically there were changes that people have made to their lives that maybe are sustainable if they manage to find out an objective function why they're doing it. I Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think that this mental health part of the pandemic is going to continue long after the pandemic has ended. I, I, I worry that it will. It's just, it just feels like it's, what's the line? It's this black dog that's out there for many people. Yeah, I, I'm afraid you're right. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think that we've lost the word well for an extraordinarily yeah. long, long time. Yeah, I think those that are on the fence, if they have a friend network and a family network, then they're going to get through this. I, I think I wish somehow the narrative would change in that we would start to see a brighter picture at the end of this rainbow when people are ultimately vaccinated. Yeah. Right. I, no one is saying that. Or if they are, they're getting crushed on Twitter. <laughs> that it, it's going to be okay if you're vaccinated, right? To go out and hang out with vaccinated friends well, and hug people and have drinks. And I, I, and, and, and this is maybe a nice note, a note to end on, but you, one of the something you, I think it was if you tweeted or texted to me, but you said you had recently had, as a frontline healthcare worker, had had your first or second vaccine. I guess you've had both now, right? And, right. And you were surprised, I think you said, at how emotional that was, right? That, 
Go ahead. I want to put. Yes, it was an incredibly emotional day to receive it, and I wasn't expecting it. I ran out of surgery. I ran downstairs. I rolled up my sleeve, and they gave me it, and I practically started crying. (laughs) Right? It was just such a relief. Yeah. I volunteer as a vaccinator now. I've been doing it two, three days and nights a week at a mass vaccination center in my county, and. I see it in everyone's faces. It's such a gift to be able to be part of this. It's really been wonderful. So some people are seeing that light at the end of the tunnel and the rainbow, but far too many aren't. My my version of that just happened this week, and I was really surprised. I, a friend of mine had just gone to in San Diego down at the Petco Park, the baseball stadium where the Padres lose games. Yep. They they turned the parking lot into a like a, well, I, it's California, so we can't call it a mass vaccina- vaccination center. We have to call it a super <laughs> vaccination center, like like super XL. And it's it's gigantic. And this a friend of mine and another friend's parents had gone through on a separate occasion. I said, oh, that's nice, and I hadn't really given it too much thought until the other day on Twitter. A senior guy at CSD UC San Diego, because they run their healthcare center, their hospital runs this super vaccination center. I think it was Chris Longhurst, but he he tweeted out a video taken from an adjacent building looking down in a time lapse <laughs> at, the, at the super vaccination center. And I that was my r- rainbow moment. When you see the incredible like 12 lines of cars flowing through tick, 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 tick all day long, every car has people in it getting vaccinated. They go to the next station. Someone watches them for allergic reaction. You think, you know what? Yep. This is going to pass. We're gonna yep. we're gonna mow through this, right? Yep, absolutely. So, it just took a time lapse video to convince me. That's fantastic. <laughs> so love it. I love anyway. being part of it. Thanks, Howard. Thank you, Paul. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. And we will not respond to requests for medical advice.